0: Financial technology, or in its more common name, fintech, is one of the most explosive industries in the history, producing unicorn after unicorn. Disrupting a legacy industry, such as financial services, in less than a decade requires skills and sophistication. We brought together global experts from the fintech community to talk about what it is like to educate consumers while disrupting an industry. Hope you'll enjoy this discussion. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to our first ever fintech uh, app panel. Um, the topic we chose for this panel is educating consumers while disrupting an industry. And starting off, uh, maybe everybody could, could introduce themselves. Who wants to go first?
1: Uh, I can go first because I'm first on the photos. I'm Meg Ciorallo. I'm the former VP of marketing at
2: Tally. Uh,
3: I'm Adam Hattie. I'm VP of marketing at Current.
2: And I am Liz Emery. I am the Senior Director of Mobile and Ad Tech Solutions at Tenuity.
0: Well, and I'm Maor, I'm CEO and Co-Founder at Incremental. And maybe let's go a little bit with background. Also, again, we're talking about fintech. Is Does anyone have actual like finance experience before the fintech era? era? Maybe you want to tell a little bit about your backgrounds as well.
3: Uh, well, I can tell you my answer is no. <laughs> so I, you know, I I've been in mobile marketing for 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 nearly a decade now. Uh, before that, I actually used to work, uh, believe it or not, at the Bureau of Labor Statistics as an economist. Uh, so quite quite a bit of ways from the marketing world, but uh you know, in all the areas I worked at, and actually for years I did consulting. I actually never worked in the area of finance. You name it: e-commerce, dating, gaming, entertainment, whatever touched it. Never worked in in, in finance. Uh, and I think honestly, part of that uh, was very attractive, uh, to, uh, our CEO here at, at current, um, who actually came from the finance space. And, uh, when, 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 when marketing current, we, we positioned ourselves very much differently from the existing financial institutions.
1: Um, I've been working in fintech for six years, seven years now, but prior to that, I also had no, uh, traditional finance experience. I worked on visa Uh, on the agency side, but I also wouldn't consider that like traditional financial services either.
2: Yeah. And echoing exactly what they said, I don't have the traditional legacy finance background either or FinTech, but my roles have uh, consistently been working across all different verticals. But FinTech for some reason has always been like the lion's share of the kind of clients that I tend to work with in the agency world or in previous roles. So a lot of experience there but similar to adam i've been in the mobile app world for 10 plus years which ages myself every time i say that
0: and a little bit of myself even though again i'm just moderating this one so i'm edtech 20 years i was born into this uh, industry of advertising technology um never specifically anything to do with anything else other than advertising technology it's really interesting to see fintech from the side because like A decade ago, this industry practically did not exist unless you consider the website of your bank 10 years ago, fintech, which I think we can agree that we don't. Um, Yeah, and uh, maybe let's start with a couple of questions that we prepared.
1: Oh, I had one anecdote, though, that I forgot to say, is that my mom was a banker uh, at like small banks in St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up for like 25 years. And I never thought I would have anything remotely to do with banking. She didn't really like her job very much, um, and so here I am today.
0: Cool. Jumping into our first question. So, again, we just we just mentioned this. Like, you know, banks have been around on the internet for a while in a way, um, but it seems that the last decade basically exploded when it comes to financial technology, thanks to mobile. Um, what do you guys think apps, what did apps do that websites could not do? Uh, yeah, I think I can jump in on, on this one. Uh, so we'll,
3: a quick background on Current is that you know, we're, we're a mobile banking app, right? Uh, meaning that the entire experience, uh, which you would otherwise get with, let's say like a brick and mortar Bank of America or Chase or something like that, uh, we're offering you entirely through an app plus like a physical debit card. Um, so really that app, is replacing an entire brick and mortar store, right? Uh, and, and, and with that, uh, you know, it's, it's a level of interactivity. It's, we're asking you to do everything that you would otherwise do in, in, in a store to be able to do on your phone. Uh, so it's just something that you can't execute with a website. Uh, for example, uh, we, you know, it's, it's a simple feature, but every single time you swipe your card, we send you a notification. When you get paid, we send you a notification now. Now you know we we bank customers who really care about that, right? When it gets time to to be paid, that meaningfully changes their life. That means okay, now I can do X, Y, and Z. Um, and and if you have a website, it, obviously that's more of a, a, a pull experience than a push experience. Um, so for us, we simply just couldn't deliver uh, on our promise uh, if we were, we were if we were a website.
2: Yeah, and I think just echoing Adam what you said, what I see a lot working with fintech clients is that. You know, the apps offer not only better personalization, but there's that convenience factor, right? And the convenience factor based on like consented data. So it's everything from, you know, there's some features that are not available on the website in like a privacy safe way, right? So like location for customized deals, depending what part of the fintech space you're in camera for receipts or check scanning, digital cash wallets. I know I'm obsessed with being able to send, you know, digital payments. Like, I love it. Like, it makes me really happy as a consumer myself. So I think it's just reduced effort needed for users to engage, right? And that's what's great about fintech is that it makes things easier versus like a website or a brick and mortar location. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think. And one of the things that I've really learned being in the fintech space is there's so much anxiety that people have around their money. Um, and I think just related to Adam's point, like the push um, notifications and all that personalization allows uh, people's finances to not only be more accessible, but also to like, be more top of mind uh, and allow them to have greater control and visibility and comprehension where they couldn't have any of that before, or it felt a lot less achievable.
0: Uh, when we opened this uh, conversation, before we actually started the panel, um, I was telling you, this is the first time I have a panel with all Americans. Now, I myself have been living in Germany for the last seven years. I don't know if you know this, but Germany is a cash country. It's like up to the pandemic, when you went to IKEA and bought furniture, the only means of payment was cash. Yeah, wow. not go to a restaurant unless you have cash, you're going to really be in a pickle. Um, now, honestly, thanks to the pandemic, unfortunately, as it is, In the last two years, Germany has leaped leaped to the US standards when it comes to fintech. Uh, Really, really awesome. You can now pay with a tap pretty much anywhere you go. So that's really cool to see. Kind of jumping to the next question, which in a way, you also touched upon. um, Financial products, obviously, I assume, require consumer trust. Now, how do you acquire it? And how do you acquire it? How did you acquire this in such a short period of time? You all represent people who have engaged with brands, who have managed to buy trusts in a very, very, very short time?
1: Um, I think it's, it's a huge challenge for this industry specifically. Uh, financial services are the most distrusted category in the world, and not without reason. Um, and especially when you look at what we're up against, right? all of the incumbent financial institutions, which have been around for hundreds, literally hundreds of years. Um, so there's a huge barrier to entry there, uh, on top of the fact that, um, almost always you're not going to be able to outspend your competition. So you have to spend smarter and be more innovative than they are. Um, so for us, the building trust at the different fintech companies that I've worked with, uh, the most important thing is peer validation. Um, so reviews, referrals, uh, a testimonials, things like that, are very, very important. Not only for building trust, but actually for building comprehension, because most of the times these products are highly innovative and take a lot to unpack for people. And it's very, very important that it's as clear and simplified as possible. Um, there are other really great tools that I've used a lot. I think TrustPilot is a fantastic, uh, scalable tool to get reviews, uh, a lot of reviews in a short amount of time that are. Um, very, very um, high quality, I guess I would say. Um, And then I think the other huge thing is leveraging the user, the testimonials, um, user reviews, things like that to um, actually bring that forward in advertising. Um, And I think that's something that you don't see the traditional financial services doing. It's something that earns trust a lot faster, comes across really authentically and allows us to communicate actually in a more cost-efficient and effective way. Um, and I think finally, the thing that I always um, do on the media side is um, we're always really strategic about our media buys so that we a- appear bigger than we are, right? What are the buys that are going to make us look legitimate, right? Whether it's a really strategic TV buy, an out-of-home, like billboard buy and things like that. Those are things that build trust with people because not every, anyone can do that.
2: Yeah. And I think, Meg, I think you nailed a lot of great points. And just like for simplicity's sake, we always say there's three points that in fintech to build trust Number one, it's touting how you protect their data privacy, right? Like data breaches are a big thing these days and consumers are more savvy about it, right? So being transparent about what data, how you're protecting them, making sure your app security is on point so that consumers feel safe and educating on that. That's point one. The second one, Meg, you touched on this is customer reviews go a long way people tend to overlook the importance of word of mouth and overlook the importance of like the opinion of similar people using the app. So that's a second piece to it. And then the third piece is it's very common to see, especially in fintech and finance in general, big word jargon is what we call it, right? So like all the fancy words of how to explain how this works, be clear, be direct and be simple when breaking things down, right? I think it's very common for us to want to go down the route of being like, we use X, Y, and Z, but consumers just want to know in plain brass tacks, simple terms, you know, what's going on. And so that's why I always say, keep it simple.
3: Yeah, I, it, it, it's interesting because I think in, in our space, trust can mean a lot of things. And in some ways, you know, versus incumbents, we have advantages and others we don't. Um, you know, when it comes to trust of our claims, right? I'd say actually we, 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 the, the, the bar that exists in traditional institutions are very, very low, right? There, there's, you know, uh, uh, your, your, your bank tells you something and you just don't believe it. You don't believe it to be true. You're skeptical, all, all of that. However, what they do have going in their favor is a sense of security and, and a trusted security, right? Like Wells Fargo may have been screwing me over for the past decade, but like I know I can go around the corner and yell at somebody and that there's a bank vault back there. It looks like a big lock. I don't know. Uh, there, there's a sense of security that exists there that as, as you know, being online only being digital only, we actually don't have. Um, so maybe we have a higher level in, in uh, of trust to begin with, but we don't have that sense of security. So how do you build that? Um, and, and there's there's no magic trick, unfortunately, uh, not that I've found so far that does it quickly because it takes a long time. And, and we see this in terms of, you know, uh, at least for current, it's a long consideration product. Um, you know, in many cases, we're banking people who can often be paycheck to paycheck. We're asking for their paycheck. Uh, it's effectively asking for all your money. Uh, it's a crazy ask. Nobody, no matter what I say, will give me all their money upon the first time they meet me, right? And so it's something that you have to build. And it's, it's why brand it's, it's so incredibly important in this space. And, you know, for us, uh, you know, partnering with 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 people, partnering with entities that have that trust is a great way to maybe you know shortcut that a bit uh so we do that quite a bit with uh with our influencers that's a big big strategy for us um because you know particularly us we we, we make a very young customer uh largely young millennial gen z uh and for them they've grown up in this world they've grown up to be skeptical of digital ads um uh, and, and and facebook can be a really effective channel but i'm not sure if it's the most effective channel at building trust right you have oh, well, that's just like an Instagram brand. Like people will actually refer to these companies based on their, based on their advertising.
0: And so uh, I, I think going, going beyond that to build trust is, is, is really important. In my, uh, in my previous company, I was actually a CEO of a company called Uplift, where one of our biggest markets was Brazil. And the biggest vertical there we had when it came to advertisers was FinTech. Now in Brazil, there was kind of like a unique uh, situation there in the last decade. Internet penetration doubled in the country, basically thanks to mobile, and all the financial services jumped on it. You could literally download an app and open a bank account in five minutes. That's pretty much all it took. Just to give you some perspective, the CPA, cost per action for acquiring a new user, signing up to a bank account was roughly eight bucks. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But there, I would say it was a necessity. The question is, if you look at the last two years, and this was another question scripted, did the pandemic create a necessity for fintech?
2: I think so. I think it's a really interesting, you know, change from, if you really think about it, like legacy financial institutions focused on like large markets, right? Where fintech has really splintered to niches, And the pandemic created a lot of niches that needed to be served, right? And that's why you see so many fintech unicorns right now, in my mind. So I 100% think the pandemic, like, if it didn't create it, it put gasoline on a fire that was already kind of starting.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think, um, obviously, the mobile payment piece of it um, has had explosive growth. But I also think about the other... um, challenges that people experienced early on in the pandemic, right, the massive amount of people who lost their jobs um, and the stimulus checks. And when you saw uh, different fintech companies like Chime, right, paying out those stimulus checks early was a huge um, trust builder in them and really uh, demonstrated that they understood what their customers were going through uh, and had a huge amount of empathy for them and could solve problems for them that traditional financial institutions not only couldn't solve, but probably didn't even have awareness of.
3: Yeah, we we were among those institutions, actually. Uh, and it was actually, it was really incredible to see because this was a moment, particularly with stimulus checks, um, those first stimulus checks that were, you know, so impactful to so many people um, to be the first. And, and actually, that's a, you know, Uh, weird flex. I know, uh, but we were, our customers were the first in the country to get their stimulus checks. And that was like, it was just such a moment. Uh, And and I think that's something that customers remember. Um, I think, you know, if you talk about the the consumer journey and certainly how, you know, how, how did I pick my first bank account? uh, It was largely based on convenience, to be honest. That's like, Hey, who has the most locations around me? Um, You know, what's the closest one? Uh, and, and I think the pandemic, you know, that's obviously changed over time. Like what does convenience mean? And I think the pandemic highlighted that, okay, well actually having a good digital experience that that's convenient. Me dealing with like some shitty web app is not convenient. Uh, and, and obviously when everybody shut down and all you have is digital experiences
0: that, that highlighted that, um, to to a lot of customers. Maybe for our next question, let's say let's split it. Let's make it the good and the bad. What lessons did you learn from legacy? And you know, Meg, you had a mother in twenty-five years in actual finance. So again, the goods and the bads. What did your companies or you learn from legacy?
2: Yeah, I can I can start this one. The fun question. I think some of the good things, something that Legacy Finance did well. And I think I don't know if it was Adam or Meg who said this earlier, but that human element right there's something to be said about the human element related to finances like when something's going around with your money you want to talk to a real person and a lot of the time with and granted i'm in a different role i work across a lot of different fintech apps but we do work on incorporating some kind of human element to it and you know that goes along with the trust that can't be replicated in a lot of ways In some of the bad things, the negative was, you know, consumers now want things to be easy, fast, personalized, convenient, right? Which, you know, we just talked about leading to this boom in FinTech space. Legacy Financial uh, didn't always have that easy, fast, personalized, convenient element to it, right? There was some with like multiple locations, but I can say for myself, growing up, like when I picked my first bank account, I picked based on security, And it was less personalized. It wasn't fast. It wasn't, you know, convenient, but it was safe. And it was, you know, I had trust in that institution versus some of like the big banks out there. So I think it's interesting, right? Positive is human element. They did that wonderfully. Negative is, it's not that fast, convenient, everything you need, one-stop shop.
3: Yeah, I would say uh, on on the good front, I think um, recognize the importance of brand, recognize the importance of community. Um, That's, you know, financial services are an incredibly complex space um, with lots of products that look very similar to each other and lots of numbers. It's really intimidating. And uh, I think legacy financial services have, have picked up on that and then you've seen historically, what like community banks and how, how big those are because of what that means and the sense of comfort that comes with that. Um, also, big national banks, um, you know, I mean, people on this call, I could probably guess, you know, what cards are in your wallet based on, you know, and, and, and look, there's infinite ones, but, you know, brand is how we take those short, how we make those shortcut decisions. Um, now, again, those things have changed, like, you know, I, I think Amex, for example, amazing brand, um, but maybe not for Gen Z, <laughs> uh, but, you know, certainly what, what they offer in terms of perks and everything like that may make sense to somebody who's Gen X or, or, or even older, uh, and, and communities, I think communities, the definition of community, uh, or I shouldn't say the definition, actual communities have changed, right? It used to be community was simply, you know, location-based, you know, much more dependent on proximity. Uh, now we have digital communities. know, uh, that exist and and, and span the world. Um, So I think traditional financial services have always kind of gotten that part right. Um, Maybe on on, on the bad side, uh, when it comes to uh, business model. Uh, I mean, you know, I kind of came into this space, again, having not had a finance background, thinking, well, like, man, why are these banks, you know, hated so much? Like, why are they dicks to so many customers? And, and and the answer is, is ultimately their business model, like their business model disincentivizes them from banking, you know, 80% of, 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 of Americans. And then you look at this country by country and, and, and you see, you see the similar patterns when you don't have a business model, when your business model is not aligned with your customers, it's just, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Uh, and so, you know, certainly you, you look at fintechs across the board, uh, and they've kind of, uh, a pattern of success is when they've been able to build a business model to serve a customer um, that a traditional uh, institution hasn't been able to serve.
1: I personally just really love that, uh, Adam. Um, I think for me, what I think uh, that the legacy financial services have done well is truly investing in brand uh, in the form of advertising and uh, consistent user experience and and um, agree with Adam also on like building community in like a very localized tactical way. Um, I think where they really have failed and and I think when I look at like what Current does, what Telly does, SoFi and so many of these other like amazing breakthrough FinTech companies are doing is leading with true empathy um, and actually connecting with customers and using that to do really innovative marketing, to build truly innovative and breakthrough products that actually solve a real consumer need that never existed before. Um, And all of that is because our our businesses and products and entire cross-functional teams are dedicated to testing, iterating, learning quickly. Um, And that agility is something that no financial, traditional financial services have, um, even with those innovation teams that they build. And I think that is something that allows, that will allow, has allowed fintech companies to really grow exponentially, they have, and are really going to continue to change the face of financial services in an even more meaningful way in the future.
0: By the way, you guys mentioned the like comfort and convenience. I can tell you that again, living in Germany, if you want anything from your bank, you need an appointment. And if you don't speak German, by the way, I live in Berlin, it's like 25% of the city is non-Germans My good luck. Uh, I think that from my end, seeing again as an outsider to this industry, it's, you know, you have the legacy airlines and you have the low cost airlines, but the low cost airlines did something very, very well. Low cost does not mean low quality when it comes to the aviation part, the safety part. Uh, So it's, you know, they really, really keep a high standard because if people will associate low cost with low quality, their business is done. And I think that uh, fintech companies have really, really kept it up when it comes to high quality versus traditional banks. So I don't really need to go and yell at anyone at N26. While if I would be working with Deutsche Bank, I would really be happy to yell at them. It's like, "What the fuck do you mean appointment? Uh, I want my money. Um, let's look at the next question, um which is also kind of related. What opportunities uh, fintech had that were off the table for the legacy companies
1: um I think um, what's been really off the table for traditional financial institutions that is on the table for Uh, for fintech companies, Adam, you spoke a little bit about it before, is actual digital community. Um, I think that traditional financial institutions just really struggle to show up authentically um, versus uh, fintech companies actually do that. Um, When I was at SoFi, we actually made the second largest Facebook group um, on the platform, second only to Peloton. Um, And that was a huge source of real community for us, uh, for our members to connect with each other, to celebrate each other, to share in their struggles. And then from a business standpoint, those folks were much more likely to take on new products, much more likely to refer friends, and much more likely to be general advocates for our business. So it was a win-win for everybody. Um, That's, I think, like one of the, the biggest things. And I think also just, as I mentioned before, like the speed to market for new products and innovations is... A huge uh, tailwind that fintech companies have that the traditional financial services will always struggle with
3: yeah from uh from from a marketing side, first of all, like nailed it meg from <laughs> uh, from from a marketing side, I mean you know in in, in almost all of our cases, we kind of have that opportunity to write our story uh, in 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 the eyes of customers for for the first time, you know. Uh, Bank of America has 98% brand awareness in this country, right? They are who they are and they can't really make a nimble. We have the opportunity to, to, to write it right the first time. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing that Bank of America can tell a 25 year old to make them think they're relevant. It's, you know, it, it's going to be really, really difficult for them. Us um, as fintechs, we have the opportunity to do that. Um, I mean, we have, you know, and, and this is, this, this extends beyond marketing, right? It extends into, in, you know, brand is something that extends into the product, it extends into customer service. I mean, we have, you know, I was just noticing right in my corner view here, uh, we have a, a, a she, she's wearing a Mr. Beast by Current hoodie. Uh, what that is, is Mr. Beast, if, if you don't know, he's a really big YouTuber, we work with him. Um, you know, you can earn points in Current, Uh, you can redeem those points for Mr. B's hoodie. Um, So as I was referencing earlier, whereas like Amex may provide relevant, awesome rewards to buy like, hey, you know, here's like an amazing dining experience that may make really a ton of sense to a a 45-year-old, a 50-year-old. Here's our opportunity to say, hey, no, we get you. And these are the relevant things in in your life. And and again, it's just something that uh, legacy institutions, uh, it'd be... Incredibly expensive, and also, as I was referencing earlier, from a business model standpoint, just wouldn't make sense for them to do. Uh, and so, there, 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 it lies like a, a huge opportunity for us.
2: I gotta say, I love these conversations. You can probably see me like smiling and nodding because I just I'm like, yeah. But um, I agree with you guys completely. I think the word I would say is like flexibility, right? And something really interesting about fintech because I don't work in like one specific side of fintech, you know, legacy focused on like total addressable market to your point, Adam, like the larger market here, we can splinter into niches, right? Like teen money management, budget planners, it allows for what I like to say, like unbundling, right? And so we have a lot more flexibility in this world that legacy doesn't have to create that community authenticity, to get the word of mouth support, get customer feedback. It's just a really fun side of finance to be on in comparison to legacy where those things are just not accessible.
0: I think we've all seen though, I don't know if it happened in the States, but I've seen a couple of times in a couple of countries, banks trying um, a sub-brand, a different brand for younger people to win them over. but it really always seemed super lame, not really working. And I'm wondering two things here. A, why did I fail? And second of all, I get the point that like winning the new customer is really, really important. But at the end, I think a lot of fintech, especially banking, make their money on the big money, on the mortgages, big loans, and so on. And do you see fintech companies essentially maturing with those kids? Yeah. I mean, I I'll, 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 I can speak
3: to that. Uh, it's, 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 it's kind of what I said earlier, if you don't have the underlying business model, um, then you can't fulfill your brand promise. So even if you craft this brand, that's like, Oh, Hey, we're cool. And for a Gen Z or something like that. Um, if you can't, you, you know, if you don't have the business model to do it, you will have not built the product for it and you will not have built the customer experience for it. And you'll ultimately fail to deliver that. Um, so yeah, it's just it, that that in my in my opinion is why they have they haven't really been successful.
2: Yeah, I think in finance in particular, you're fighting years of perception, and like legacy finance has like a pretty like particular view, especially from like younger demographics. That when you try and like make this change, it's almost like you're like there's like memes about it where it's like I'm cool, I'm hip. What are all you youth doing? You know what I mean? Like that's how Hello, it feels. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where it's like, you know, I, I forgot what movie it is. It's Austin Powers where he's like, I'm cool, I'm hip. And he does like the Macarena kind of thing. Like that's how it almost like comes off. It's not authentic, which is kind of like the core piece of everything we've been talking about on this webinar.
1: Um, I think it's what's, I was remi- reminded of, I can't remember if it's the NFL or the NBA uh, determined that kids align with a specific sport by the eight, by like third grade. Um, And so their marketing strategy was like, we need to like go in and like, you know, uh, work with the different, you know, parents and whomever else to get kids to like football or basketball or baseball or whatever it is by this age, that way they're loyal for life. And then our business will continue to engage them, uh, but know that like, we have to get them here. And I think like, that's really interesting for like current and even uh, self and what's the, oh, step. I think step is like so fascinating Um, because what I imagine their business model is, is, uh, let's go and get them really early. Let's connect with them, be authentic, build the product for them, continue to connect with those, uh, individuals as like five, 10 years from now, like continue to focus on, um, this, you know, demographic of really early, like young adult, early adulthood, um, and then continue to innovate for our existing customers. Because that's really what the legacy financial institutions have not done, right? They have not stayed connected to the future customers. Um, they've just really focused on those high net worth individuals, which is great for the next five to 10 years. But then like Adam, to your point, what does a 25-year-old think of Bank of America? Not a lot.
3: Yeah, we've actually, we've been able to dip, we, we, have, we have a teen banking product. Uh, so we've been able to to actually a lot of our marketing, being that it hits people so young, inevitably you get people under eighteen, um, and 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 being able to offer them a product and being able to pull them in and 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 give them value um, from a really young age. Um, I've, I've been a Knicks fan since I think kindergarten, so uh, there's some
0: there's some validation there, Meg. Thanks. I accepted another question: Channels, mediums, where should fintech be advertising?
1: Um- I mean, I can speak from a brand perspective. I've been doing brand for a long time in fintech. Um, I, I think Adam, you used the term like Instagram brands, um, and I think that's uh, very, very valid for for fintech. Um, I think like uh, you know the PPC channels definitely serve a very, very real purpose. But I think having a diversified marketing mix uh, now more than ever with IDFA uh, and iOS fourteen is super important. But even prior to that having a mix that is full funnel, uh, that is showing, like I said, like spending um, smarter, not more than the competition, really meeting people where you are. And in some ways you have to show up bigger than you are or appear bigger than you are. So I think like OTT has become a huge channel uh, for Tally um, and uh, Out of Home is a channel that I've done really strategically and systematically in different markets. I think things like that. And Adam, I think also talked about influencers. I think influencers are huge for building trust, for building legitimacy and helping to scale your message. And one thing we haven't talked a lot about um, is, I think uh, Liz, you talked about it, is making sure that like your message is as simplified as possible. And I think influencers are actually a really, really great um, litmus test for doing that. Because if they can share your message in a way that makes sense to their followers, then like you've really hit home
3: yeah i think for companies again brands like fintechs that that have like again trust is is important building consideration over a very long period of time is important you kind of have to be everywhere uh everywhere where your customer is so i mean yeah look if you're you know you know banking people who are 20 maybe linear tv is not where they are Uh, if you're banking people who are 50 well, then maybe influencers are not where they are, et cetera. Uh, but you kind of have to follow your audience, um, and 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 so we're 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 a lot of places. I'll, I'll say that, uh, which requires a, 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 a team and and a lot of thought and a lot of strategy to make sure that uh, you're delivering like a co- cohesive messaging because nobody's just seeing you on one channel. Um, but yeah, I think I think you have no choice but to but to be everywhere.
2: Yeah, yeah, you guys completely agree. Like in my world, it's all full funnel, but we do live in this new privacy-centric world, right? Without the IDFA, with new regulations, depending on where you live, state by state, country by country. So having that full funnel channel mix so you can have fluidity between your budgets is so, so important, but also testing new channels. Like you have to be where your consumers are and, you know, really interesting stat that I read. I think it was like t- only like 12% of people are not like on their phone when they're watching TV, including like streaming. Like <laughs> hmm. So people are dual screeners. So OTT and CTV, especially for FinTech is huge in terms of like, you know, you may not be able to do a direct attribution, but you can look at influence from those kind of channels, right? So like, that's a huge space, digital out of home and out of home, huge space as well. And it's not just talking about, I think sometimes people go, out of home, billboard, I don't want, you know, but there's so many different elements of out of home that are available for FinTech, again, reaching consumers where they are. So I always say when we're planning for our FinTech clients, it's like, think about your audience, what, how they're consuming media, what kind of media they're consuming, and then putting it together a strategy that has multiple touch points uh, with frequency in mind.
0: So I really like this panel so far for two main reasons. One, there has been no awkward silences whatsoever easy for me to do the edits later. Then, like we've really been segueing question to question to question. And again, this is an incremental hosted panel. So obviously, we're going to have a question about incrementality. But literally, this was very natural right now. So why is incrementality measurement important for marketing financial products?
2: I can start this one. This is the world that I live (laughs) in on a daily basis. So In my role, uh, half of my job is ad tech solutions, and that's essentially future-proofing our clients. And it's not just across the mobile landscape, but also working in the web world. And user identifiers, right? So like IDFA, GAID, cookies, that's been at the core of how we handle attribution for a very long time, right or wrong, right? And that's a whole different discussion. But again, we're moving towards this privacy-centric world, but it's driven by what consumers want. It's driven by regulations, And it's driven by platform changes you know from like apple and android devices right and honestly like i'm a huge advocate for any kind of complementary attribution to how you know we do things now so incrementality testing is really really helpful in this new world to help close the gap of signal loss that we're seeing right so running these tests with partners like incremental really provides insights in terms of like how we think about media ROI from specific channels and partners. um, You know, partner direct ROI is becoming harder with all these new limitations when we don't have device identifiers. So it helps us gauge the impact and also takes into account external events, which unfortunately always are happening like COVID or the ATT prompt or what's next in our crazy world, but it takes into account all the different factors. And so I I push this on a lot of our uh, FinTech clients right now.
1: Uh, I totally agree. I think the other reason that incrementality is mission critical to financial services is because it's such a high consideration product. It's probably one of the highest consideration products. And so a last touch attribution perspective is far too myopic for what the industry requires. Um, I would venture that probably most every FinTech company has over a dozen touch points that are required before a customer converts. Um, and I think the other piece of it is not only understanding more of the nuances of the customer journey, but we talked about how the full funnel marketing mix is absolutely, uh, critical to FinTech. Um, and then also understanding the impact of all of those channels on each other, which are, which you can't get with any other methodology, except for incrementality measurement. Uh, so I think all of that means that if, uh, It is imperative if you're going to be doing any kind of marketing at scale uh, for a fintech business.
3: Yeah, we, uh, it's critical, right? You're blowing money otherwise. Uh, And I think we're actually pretty fortunate in in, in the financial space uh, because, you know, at least, you know, most fintechs have to KYC customers, um, which um, for those who are outside of the fintech space, so it stands for Know Your Customer. It essentially means verifying their identity. It's a shit ton of friction. However, uh, what you get is is real data. And so it, it actually, again, I, I I worked in a lot of different spaces. Uh, and you know, if you're a mobile game, how do you know where your customer lives? You don't. You don't really. How do you know how old they are? You don't really. Um, so being able to get verified identities and particularly verified locations. Um, allow you to do incremental measurement in a way that uh, at, a, at a much smaller scale, right? Um, which could be a lot more palatable, palatable and you can be, be far more aggressive. Uh, so we're actually we're actually uh, in in pretty privileged position as as, as marketers uh, to measure incrementality in in our in our space in a way that's easier than a, a lot of others.
1: Um, um, one other sorry, one other thing that I just thought of that um, is. Is not unique to fintech, but it's more unique to tech um, is uh, I think a lot of people uh, undervalue scale testing. Um, and by that, I mean, like we have almost uh, probably every fintech company has incredibly aggressive growth goals. Um, and when you have a diversified channel mix, knowing where you're going to reach the um, curve of diminishing returns on your spend is really important to know that in advance of hitting that curve uh, or hitting that that point of diminishing returns, and so incrementality also allows us to be a lot smarter about how we're going to uh, where we're going to put that next dollar, so that we can reach these um, very very aggressive growth goals.
0: By the way, so for me, coming from twenty years of edtech, and ten years of it was in in web. Now. Web attribution works in click, order, click, order, click, order. You basically, it's still mostly last attribution, but you're attributing a single order to maybe a click or an impression. Mobile is a lifetime attribution, means this single click generated this user that spent hundreds of thousands of dollars eventually within our company, which really, really makes no sense. Now, interesting, before we started incremental, the original idea we had was, <clears throat> we're going to solve the journey problem. We're going to build the best multi-touch attribution solution for mobile ever. Thank God we didn't do that. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, with that, um it's I think we're running out of time. It's really been a pleasure, the most um, fluid conversation I've ever had. Uh thank you all so much for your time. Any closing remarks from anyone? Uh yeah, I'll, I'll say uh,
3: you can find me at uh, current.com slash careers. Happens to be the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, <laughs> we're hiring across the board, uh, across the company, really across the marketing department, marketing science uh, in particular, if we have any marketing science listeners, that's my plug uh, Cross performing marketing, all the good stuff uh, here in New York City. So
0: that's uh, that's what I got. Awesome. Cool. So thank you all. Have a nice evening. Thank you.
2: Thanks, everyone. Thanks.